Hi, I'm Reiki. Hi, and I'm Sakina. Welcome to Two Sports in Britain. This is the podcast where two long-time friends share our experiences with each other as Singaporean transplants to Britain and also practice British accents. Today, we're going to talk about navigating friendships in adulthood and abroad. Sakina, you're always damn good at setting the context for our topic, so I'll let you take it away. <laughs> you're so generous, Reiti. So, um, today's topic has been constantly talked about in our exchanges, uh, also because it has practical implications for both of us, right? Being abroad, you know. Um, so, it makes the discussion even more pertinent, you know, and we're really excited to talk about this today. Um, I believe that for both of us, right, Reiti, uh, we really value friendships and relationships generally a lot. So there's definitely topics, one that's very close to our heart. So um, we know that forming friendships and sustaining them is no walk in the park. Okay, we have encountered many scenarios in our life uh, where we need to make new friends, you know, like, you know, during our first day of school, first day of university, you know, like being new in a new workplace environment, you know, in a novel social situation. So... I think for both of us, both Reiti and I, uh, when we share with each other about our experiences in Britain, we realize that there are some differences, you know, when we make friends, you know, um, in adulthood right now, presently, as compared to when we were younger, you know, in university or, you know, like in secondary school and so on and so forth, right? So um, what I realized is that as we get older, we have more commitments to shoulder. So making friends and even sustaining the ones, the existing friendships we have can be very challenging. So I hope we can explore this topic in greater depth today. So um, before we go on to talk more about it, maybe we can just talk about the basics first, right? Reti, maybe you want to share with us, you know, what you think are important in keeping a friendship alive? You know, how do you sustain? Of friendship? Sure. So I think a sense of commitment and reciprocity from all parties is the most important. It took me way too long to realize that. Oh boy, the number of years I've wasted. And um, although I can say for a lot of the long term friendships I still have, I think I'm still always the one to initiate the conversations first. Um, mm -hmm. I attribute it to me having more work life balance. Like, I mean, Okay, so we mentioned it in last week's episode. Um, check out the link, which will appear here. Um, from doing a master's when people started work. And also, um, even when I worked, I was, like I mentioned, uh, not a con it wasn't a conventional 9 to 5 job. So I've always been a bit more free, relatively speaking. But sometimes I'm always like, hi, can you message me also? I, I also want attention. <laughs> yeah, what do you think, Sakina? Yeah, I mean, I think whatever that you mentioned, right, it resonates a lot with me as well. Like, for me, I think the two most important things is really, like, commitment. Like, both of you know that, you know, like, we are friends. So, like, you, are, you, you stay committed to it. And that can be shown in many ways. I think number one is a sense of reciprocity that you say, you know, like, there's that sense of mutual, mutualness between you and your friends. So, it's a balanced kind of uh, friendship. When you share that, you know, like, sometimes you wish that somebody else would, you know, initiate first. You know, I... I can understand that as well. I think um, friendship, you know, has to be very balanced. Yeah. So I hope that, you know, you don't, you don't do that so much so that, you know, maybe that other person can then, you know, try to like be the one, you know, to also ask you, how are you? You know, what you're up to, you know? Yeah. So um, I guess for me, another thing that's important is that's that emotional closeness. Um, I mean, um, when I say this, I'm not saying that it has to be like, okay, like every single time, like you have that 
you know, conversation with your friends always have to be emotionally deep or anything. But when I say emotional closeness, it's that there's that sense of safety that, you know, like you and your friend, like, you know, that you can trust each other, you know, when, you know, not only when times are easy, when you share your joys, but also when, you know, times are hard, you know, you can actually share, you know, your struggles, you know, share your experiences. So, yeah, I think that's very important. And I think um, very closely related to that, um, that sense of care and interest, right? So I guess for me, these are the, the most important things that keep a friendship going more than just like, oh, you know, me and my friend, you know, both of us have similar hobbies or similar interests or maybe even similar worldviews and belief systems, you know, like, I think, I mean, I've had friends, very close friends now that, you know, we may not necessarily, uh, we may not necessarily grow in the same way, like maybe our kind of trajectory like diverge, you know, at some point, you know, maybe at one point in time that, you know, we have that shared experience and later on, like we grow into our own persons and that's okay because at the end of the day, right, even if you have different life goals or different interests, different worldview, but if there's that sense of care and interest and support, I think that to me, that's very important. Yeah. So, um, hope that answers that question. Uh, I guess for me, um, I mean, if I want to reflect back about my friendships, friendships through the years, right? I feel that, I think there's this process of natural selection. Sounds like evolution, I know. <laughs> but um, uh, what I mean by this is that I think it's very natural. I, I guess like there's self, some form of self-selection as well, like through the years, like kind of some people are being filtered out naturally. Like you don't really kind of need to like, oh, bye-bye, I don't want to be friends with you. Or like, oh no, I'm going to keep you. But it's more like those people who really care and wants to keep me in their life, yeah, they will They will show it. Lah. Like I said, commitment, right? You know, maybe I will want to initiate to meet up with them or have a conversation with them or they are interested to know, you know, what am I up to? You know, how, how my life's been and stuff like that. So um, for me, it's really about the quality of friendships more than quantity and as I get older I realize that you know my energy de gets depleted very quickly I don't know about you Riti, but for me like oh my god sometimes it can get really tiring like there's a lot of things that you have to juggle with right you have your career you have your whatever your job and then you have like commitments family commitments you know you also have you also need time to yourself right to like um, you know nurture your hobbies your interests so I guess for me like quality has always been my choice la. right now increasingly increasingly so since mid-20s until now I feel that yeah I would rather just have my close like tight inner circle very small about four to five people max maybe a few others like very like once in a while and I don't have to like speak to these people every time you know like they are constants, but you don't have to speak to them so regularly. But for me, it's really about the depth that, you know, like when we meet, right, the person is really present, you know, uh, and we really have a good, you know, um, kind of, you know, exchange. Yeah, so to me, that's very important. Lah. Yeah, but I guess when I say this, right, I'm not saying that, okay, like, it's not a rigid exclusionary system where like, okay, I'm just only like, keeping with just these few people because I do realize that you know our relationships are very complex and you know our interactions with the world is so very complex right so like we will be meeting how do I say a lot of people you know who are new right you will constantly meet new people and somehow you need to kind of keep up with that right so like you meet like new people at your workplace it can be a budding friendship you know with a colleague or you know Maybe you go to like a church group or whatever and then you meet somebody that, you know, you know that you you can possibly deepen that. I mean, 
I'm saying that in different settings, right? So, um, and I think for me personally, like, I want to reflect about my um, friendships as well. Um, there are some friends that I still, you know, maybe talk to them, but less frequent. Like, maybe we might meet each other, like, what, four times a year kind of thing. Because, you know, we have that shared experiences. Like, we attend at the same secondary school or attend the same junior college or university. And then you just meet, like, a few times over the years. And that's okay, too. Like, once in a while, we do need that, right? Um, when we meet each other for, like, somebody's birthday or somebody's wedding. Yeah, I think it's, um, I find that they're also equally meaningful as well. Yeah. So anyway, I think I talked a lot about that. Uh, Reiti, I want to hear your thoughts. Yeah, thank you for sharing. I think um, I agree with a lot of um, points. Also, I really like your natural selection phrase because it really makes a lot of sense whether Darwin um, approves <laughs> of it. <laughs> he may be happy that, oh, it's being applied in a new setting. <laughs> yeah, and also I agree with your like um, talking about energy depleting um, as you get older. It's just, I am like, I understand your feelings about it. I'm just not as willing to put in energy into things that I'm not getting back anything from anymore. Maybe I was uh, more excited last time, but now I'm just like, okay. I need to uh, cut my losses early. <laughs> yeah, and also there's this quote that um, always floats around, right? It's very cliche, but I think it really makes sense. So you have friendships for a reason, for a season, and for treason. I'm joking. I just wanted to make the rhyme. I'm like, why does it not rhyme? Anyway, it's uh, the last one is for a lifetime, right? So um, you mm -hmm. have friends uh, come and go depending on what... Um, I guess suits both of you at the, at that time. Yeah. And then the ones for reasons are probably to teach you valuable life lessons. And then the lifetime ones are hopefully the ones that uh, you still see each other at like all the different milestones um, throughout your life. Yeah. And um, like you, I also prefer one-on-one, -on -one, uh, even if I'm now I'm more comfortable with having, having bigger groups. So I usually just, prefer still prefer the close knit ones. Um, so even in the big groups, there are a few select ones that I like to talk with individually and not just um in a big setting. Yeah. What about you? Mm. Well I really like the quote that you gave because I think that really sums up what we have spoken about so far, right? I think relationships are very complex. Like you can have like a few deep meaningful ones, but you also need like some people to come into your life to kind of like teach you something like you said, right? Very seasonal, you know, and that's people who come in your life as a teacher or a mentor. Yeah, so I really like that. Thanks for sharing. Um, yeah, I just want to briefly talk about, you know, you mentioned about, you know, you're a bit more comfortable now being in like big groups. You know, I'm really glad to know that. I guess like, I wonder if that's a lot to do with this introversion, extroversion thing. I'm an extrovert, right? But in my younger years, I was more extroverted. Yeah, so, um, yeah, I guess, like, I've always, like, been involved, like, in different cliques, and I can manage that. Like, for me, I get my energy. I got my energy a lot more from, like, just interacting with people and just having a good time. But I realized that as I age, right, there's no energy, like I said. So I also prefer smaller groups, but I can still hold that space, you know, for cliques um, and stuff like that. Yeah. So I'm just wondering whether it's, the, it's like that for you, like, you know, maybe like you were a lot more introverted when you're younger, but then now as you like kind of experience life, as you 
age, like, okay, so we kind of like ease into that big group kind of like setting. Yeah. I wonder if it's me being in secondary school and junior college and teenager years um, and taking personality tests and knowing that the cool cliques are the ones who are extroverts. So the way I answer the personality test, do I like to party? Sure. <laughs> do I like big groups of people? Sure, of course. And then I get the extrovert on tech and I'm very happy that I'm an extrovert. Looking back, not ah, buddy, you were kidding yourself. You just wanted to sound cool because um, like the stereotype was, if you are introverted, you are uncool. So my, <laughs> I was just lying to myself basically. I think it maybe it's the environment again, which we are going to come to um in uh, the later part of today's conversation. Mm. Maybe it's because the environment allows me to uh want to be more open to meeting new people now and mm-hmm. be in um be more comfortable in bigger groups. Mm. So um I am more comfortable in a bigger group now, although I still definitely am not the life of the party. I need someone else to be the life of the party, then I can be more lively and all. Mm-hmm. If everybody else is very quiet, oh you are just it's gonna be awkward silence all the way. Mm-hmm. Yeah, so thank you, Safina, for being one of the lively ones <laughs> usually that I can be then my charming self. okay i mean that's very interesting i guess like this whole extrovert introvert dichotomies um it's just a dichotomy sometimes i think we have different like we can be like more introverted in some uh, situation more extroverted in some situation i think at the end of the day what i realized is that we are human beings and we are social creatures and there's a fundamental need to connect right so at the end of the day it's really about connection uh, what you're looking for. I mean, I guess we can connect in that big group as well. Um, but I don't know, like sometimes for me, my experience is that being too long in a big group, it kind of dilutes the the depth, you know, and sometimes I get very drained from that. Like, I have a very idealistic sense of um, sociality. Like, I always desire it to be like, oh, because I'm also quite an extrovert. I like to be a part of a big group, but I also want that group to be to be very like intellectual or very like always talk about meaningful things and you know that's not really always the case and I and I think like yeah I had this unrealistic expectations of cliques I guess and I was very frustrated like a lot in my mid-20s because I wasn't getting it and I think how I reconcile with that is like just have the meaningful ones with just one person uh, or in small groups and then like when I have that big groups, I just kind of lower the frequency and maybe I just have to like, yeah, just manage my expectations. It's okay to just need to just have fun and have superficial kind of things. You know, I think we need that in our lives. So I'm, I learned how to chill a bit more now. <laughs> so yeah, thanks for that, um, for this conversation so far, Reti. I think now, I think, uh, I mean, the topic of this podcast is like, um, navigating friendships, you know, in adulthood, right? Friendships in adulthood and abroad. I think for both of us, you know, both of us have been abroad for a while. So I kind of like just want to explore that. How do we nurture our existing friendships, especially friendships made in Singapore and friends who are back in Singapore while we're in the UK? Yeah. So maybe I can just share a bit more and then, you know, Reti can take it from there. Yeah. So for me, um, I mean, there's no other way to connect with them except through, like, what, 
phone calls, like text messages, WhatsApp messages, you know, video calls. I think since I have been living in London as well, I think a few of my close friends, we do try to like video call or even if it's not a video call, phone call, you know, and that can be quite long sometimes. I think minimum is one hour, maximum can be two to three hours, but it's, it's not frequent at all. It can like even be like once a month, once in two weeks kind of thing once in three weeks so yeah and like this kind of like conversations really I feel that yeah it works lah for me and some of my friends and also for some of the other people like um uh I try to connect with them through the whatsapp messages you know I've been in like some group chats and stuff like that and then obviously right now social media is such a big presence in our lives right so I guess for me um connecting through my close friends and friends and acquaintances back in Singapore through that and sometimes just commenting on their like insta stories or like their posts yeah so that's generally my uh my approach how about you Reiti? Yeah, um, I will send a message every so often, like you. Um, unlike you, uh, I'm not really a video call person, really. Yeah, but occasionally there are friends who we try to do video calling. Um, for, mo- for the most part, it's through messages. And then for some friends, the conversation ends very quickly. Um, but then two months later, it resumes. And again, it's a very quick ending. But then for others, we may take a while to reply. But every time there are like, wow, long stories of five to six messages. And that's always very nice to um, to read because I, I like long messages, actually. So I'm like, yeah, the longer, the merrier. Yeah. I'm very happy uh, having like so much um, content to read. Yeah. Um, for a lot of you, uh, for a lot of it, like you said, it's probably just clicking like on Instagram, watching their stories, commenting on the stories. Yeah. Hmm. You know, I really like uh that you said that you know you like long messages because I also like long messages, right? Um, and I think I see that a lot in you, Rati, that you know, like you really take your time to really respond to every aspect of our mess, my messages, and I'm sure, you know, when I say our, I I actually. I, sp- I speak on behalf of your friends <laughs> because I, I'm, I believe you do that, you know, because you do it so consistently. Like, you make sure that you respond to, like, every single part. Thank you, Reiti, for always taking time to really respond and address, like, every aspect of the ma- our, you know, conversation. And it really shows that, you know, like, you really want to take your time to process it. Yeah, and I really appreciate that a lot. Uh-huh. Yeah. Thank you for your generosity. I still owe you uh, messages to the, your very long <laughs> thing. So, akan datang, akan datang. No, but that's the it point. Coming right? soon. <laughs> yeah, I think that's the point, like you said, right? Like, I think um, when you want quali- quality, sometimes, you know, having that space to kind of like, you know, to think about what you want to say and you go back with a more renewed um, kind of like spirit or bigger, you know, and I think I really like that as well. Like, you know, you don't, I guess for certain things like day-to-day things, you can reply on the spot, but there are some things where, okay, I'm going to like chew on this for a bit more, you know, and I really like that. Yeah. So don't worry, take your time. <laughs> um, you mentioned something just now about like, you know, uh, most parts like clicking like on Instagram. I just uh, thought of like sharing, you know, how I feel about that. I think that's also very important. Like I do that as well. Uh, it's my way of showing that I'm interested to keep up with my friends' lives. I think there's pros and cons to this lah. I guess 
um, it's, it's a good way to connect, especially when you're abroad. But I had that uh, quite a, um, a low point when I was doing my master's in Birmingham where I felt that, you know, um, Instagram didn't do well for me. Like, I felt like there's lack of connection. Like, I may be sharing a few things, but I felt that it wasn't a means to con connecting, to further connection. It just ends there. That was the end product, right? So I did, I felt that it kind of like stops conversation from going on, right? So yeah, I think that's my struggle as well. It's really the lack of connection or my perceived lack of connection, right? Because it might, maybe some friends think that they are still connecting, but I feel that, you know, like, because I'm away, so I feel like I'm being left behind or I feel a bit left out, like, you know, even, yeah. So I feel like, um, my perception is that like because I'm here I'm starting from scratch in London like I don't have like many friends you know I don't have that social the benefit of social capital and routine that's tied to social relationships like I had back in Singapore that's why I felt that everybody else's lives just moves forward and I'm being left behind yeah I mean I know it sounds really sad but I'm just really being honest like um, yeah that's my perception la. and I guess I also have to correct that perception. Like, I have to also understand that, okay, you know, like, there's a time difference, there's that, you know, they're physically apart. So, it's, that's that challenges. La. Um, very interested to hear your challenges as well, Reti. Yeah, thank you for sharing. I understand um, how, like, isolating it can feel, like, the lack of connection between um, you just watching the stories and then that's all the connection there is. It's just... This person view your story and full stop. Mm -hmm. Yeah. And I also like that you acknowledge that maybe it's the perceived lack of connection. Maybe that's how they showed their um, want to be involved in your life. But then exactly. uh, they thought that that was enough, I guess. Yeah. So it's again, yeah. maybe it's um, something about expectations from both sides also. Yes. Yeah. yeah. Um, I feel like I didn't really have that much. Um, so you said you you felt like you were being left behind. I think I didn't really have that many clicks that I sort of left behind. Yeah, I think the main click was with you and J and D. Oh, check out our episode three. <laughs> um, a lot of uh, my other groups are just one on one. So I think when I left, it was just me leaving and then them still there uh, with their own other friends um, in Singapore. Um, so I don't really feel left out per se, but sometimes I do feel like, oh, I wish I were there. And this is when it's usually um, with my cousins. So I have this like smaller, so uh, as I mentioned previously, I have many cousins, but there's this click of us. We do hang out um, quite often. Um, every Saturday we will go to my grandma's house and we have gone out for lunch and dinner whatever outside of Saturdays as well so I'm a partic closer to this particular subset of cousins um, and some friends even so I do sometimes wish that oh I wish I was part of that gathering mm. yeah, but I think sometimes the you mentioned time difference I feel like sometimes the time difference works to our advantage so when if I send off a message at our midnight which is 7am Singapore um, I can go to sleep and then I wake up. Oh, there's messages for me to read. So it's like a very nice, I wake up, hello, Singapore um, has replied, <laughs> and vice versa. So that's just a nice um, thing, I think. We can make use of the time difference sometimes. Mm. 
Yeah. No, I I actually agree what you said about, you know, the the cliques part. I thought what would be interesting for me to reflect on is that I don't have many cliques now as well. But when I say that I feel left behind, it's not because I was a part of the clique that I feel left behind. But it's more like even when I have one-to-one like relationships with some friends, I feel left behind because of that perceived sense of like me kind of like having to start from scratch and everybody else back at home despite, you know, whether they're part of a clique before with me or it's just a one-to-one relationship, like, you know, everybody just moves on with their job, with their friends. So I guess maybe because I had that, like, low point in my life where I was starting from scratch, you know, I was unemployed, you know, I just got married, I didn't have any friends, no community. So, um, yeah, sometimes, yeah, I feel like being left behind. Also because, like, I don't think it's a situation that many people can understand as well. For me, I feel like, I, like you said, like it's really about managing expectations both on both ends. Yeah, I like that you said that. Um, yeah, speaking about time difference, I think maybe we can talk a bit more about, you know, uh, how we feel. Uh, maybe share a bit more about experiences making friends in the UK itself. You know, we talked a lot about, you know, friendships in Singapore and stuff. Let's move to Britain now. Um, yeah, I mean, like, Reiti, maybe you can share, like, you know, what do you think are, cha- are the challenges of making friends here with people, like locals? Hmm. Um, so let me just share the more positive experiences first. Um, I actually think, I know it's, uh, we keep mentioning like we are making friends. Um, number one, it's like a double whammy. Uh, this is what Satya said, so I'm just rephrasing her. Uh, it's a double whammy because we are making friends, um, friends in adults, as adults, which is already a challenge in itself. And number mm-hmm. two, the abroad part of it. Yeah. We have two layers of um, managing these two expectations um, while being an adult and abroad. Mm. Yeah, but I think my experience of making friends was still okay because I came here as a student. So mm. I'm still under the shelter of an educational institution and it's a very nice setting to make friends mm. um, because you can uh, join the societies. There are plenty available. There are many associations that will hold different uh, events for you to meet people. And also, somehow, I feel like the people I gravitate to or the people who gravitate to me, I will find out later on that they are around my age. I'm like, eh, do I look present a more mature vibe or something? I want to pretend to be uh, forever 21, okay? Um, yeah, nobody say anything otherwise. <laughs> so the people I make uh, closer friends with, I will realize later on that they are late, late 20s rather than early 20s. Also, um, PhD students tend to be older uh, as compared with the master's students, and yeah, I'm here as a PhD student. And also, I actually think the age for master's students in the UK are, is freaking young because they are, they are here only for three years for undergrad, and then their master's year only takes one year, so they are like 22, while in Singapore, we will be like at least a good three or four years older, so it's just scary. Yeah, um, but I will also share with you the, like, not so success stories. I can say that although, like I've mentioned previously, I joined the improv and pole exercise societies, I'm closer to just one of the girls in the pole exercise society, again, because she's a PhD student. So mm-hmm. maybe again, like you mentioned, is it cause we have similar interests? So we uh, born over that um, area, whereas all the other um, people in the society are undergraduates. And also to be fair to them, I don't join in with a lot of the socials that they have. Um, outside of the pole and improv classes 
So it's me not putting myself in those um, gatherings. Yeah, by the way, socials is uh, the British term for gatherings. So I am. It's my own fault for not including myself in those gatherings mm. and not engaging to them. Mm. But also, yeah. um, there is also the age element, right? Like yeah. you mentioned, uh, because why is a late twenties hanging out with an early twenties person? Is probably not um very appropriate. Yeah. Um. I think you mentioned about a lot about this um education setting. I thought uh, maybe I can like jump in as well. Like a lot of the master student, they're so young. Like they're like nineteen. No, sorry, they're like 20, 21, you know, and I was like, whoa, you know, I think that's really one of the big struggles I have um, because I came in um, to do my master's in Birmingham at, in my late 20s. So when I came in, right, I was really excited about meeting people who are similar, you know, like maybe like in terms of their worldview, in terms of our interests, you know. So like when I started going for my course, right, I realized that, oh my gosh, I'm one of the older ones, you know, like, you know, and these people are so young. So, I mean, I don't have um, any problems like with young people and I think um, younger people, you know, sometimes how they respond and how they think about certain things, you know, kind of remind me of my old self, you know, that kind of enthusiasm, that kind of idealism that I have, right? Um, so it's nice, but I guess when it comes to age, it comes, it correlates to experience. So I feel like there's experiential gap. Like I have had the experience of also kind of working for a while, you know, like kind of like experiencing the reality, the, wor- the working realities, you know, in Singapore. So like, and then I came back with all this, you know, kind of like baggage, right? So, yeah. So sometimes some people, when they stay a lot of idealism, I feel like, oh my gosh, do you know what you're talking about? Like, have they experienced the world? Have they really seen it? You know, like, I know it sounds quite snobbish, but sometimes it's like, oh my God, like, it can be good, it can also be bad. And I mean, I guess it's not really a big barrier for me. Um, It's not a big hindrance, you know, from making friends with somebody who's younger because I have had friends who are like close to my sister's age or maybe younger than my sister's and we can hang out um you know and stuff like that right but it's a bit difficult lah you know like sometimes it's really nice to to speak to somebody who probably experienced a bit of uh you know a bit of that kind of like working experience or like even not work you know like they they experienced a bit of you know, life, you know, as an adult. And then so you can actually relate to each other better. Yeah, Uh, I think another challenge that I face also is that, um, yeah, I guess like being an international student, like it's hard to penetrate like maybe the British kind of circles in university, I find. Like I think it's the international students in campus that are actually more sociable, I feel. I don't know, like, what you think Reti but for me this is my observation so I kind of tend to join like more international based or like friends who are actually just like me you know coming from another country to Britain to study right because sometimes when you make friends I mean I do have a couple or a few British friends that I still keep in touch with and they are really nice and lovely but I feel like it's a bit more challenging it's more natural to um, make friends with somebody who who are more international yeah, I wonder if you have that kind of observation as well. And yeah, I think I was uh, fortunate in the sense of the international student part because as a PhD student, a lot of the students are actually uh, international students. So in my cohort, half um, were from the Middle East, half were from East Asia, and just mm. we had just one British person in our cohort. 
yeah and also um i think again it's related to the education setting that i'm in and also i'm fortunate that my degree straddles two departments so i have the education department and the linguistics department so i have two sets of orientation um events that i could potentially go to and also we do have an international students association and a graduate students association like i mentioned um we that holds um, activities for us so actually in fact the longest friend that i still have uh, we met at one such event held by the graduate students association and it was like an event to play board games so board games is like it spans on uh, all departments and all interests right as long as you can be a geologist if you're interested in board games you might go for the event if you're a linguist like me and you're interested in board games you go for the event so it's a very like open-ended um, mm. event to meet a lot of people yeah and i always uh, think that that was a very nice um i always think think fondly back on that memory that because i was actually hesitant to go for the event because i was alone but and it just so happened that there was a table there that still had like six empty seats I just happened to sit at that same table that had other people in it and we are still friends um, two years two plus years on and also incidentally in along that table there were only two british people the other six that filled up the seat were all international students mm. so once the british people were the minority which was mm. probably a very like interesting experience for them <laughs> yeah so um like you said um i think i have a lot more international friends the very sad thing is that I wonder what will become of these friendships when we all go back to our respective countries, actually. So I don't want to think about that yet. So I'm just uh, repressing all my uh, feelings <laughs> for uh -huh. now. Yeah. yeah. But I just want to also shout out that we have a Singapore society. Hello, anyone who may be listening. Mm -hmm. um, so that was a nice group of people to have because um, it gave a sense of home when we wanted to. And I think that the frequency with which they held events was very good. So it was like, it was enough to make you feel rooted to home, but not so many that you felt stifling. Like, why is all the Singapore uh, things all coming to me? I want to experience some British stuff. No, I think it was a good balance. You know, it's very interesting that there's not many like British people sitting uh, at the same table. And uh, I guess uh, one of the ways to also understand this is like sometimes when you're you're in your comfort zone, right? Like you already have your existing friendships, you already have an established group of friends. Uh, why do you wanna, like for some people, they might think like, why do I have to go all the way out to seek other connections or relationships, right? So I guess, um, I don't know, because my experience like in university back in Singapore as well, I realized that, you know, there are some international students but for me, I guess for me, I'm always like, oh my God, it's so nice like to like make friends, somebody who's different from me. You know, I seek diversity as a person. Like I like that a lot. But uh, I realized that, yeah, like a lot of like students in like universities will tend to be in their own kind of groups and stuff like that. And I mean, we talk a lot about, I mean, we talk about two things, right? The first being abroad and first like, in, and secondly, it's also in adulthood. And what I realized also is that like, uh, the adulthood part, right? Like, I guess, you know, you already have your own established group of, like, friends. Like, why do you want to seek out? Why do you want to go for more social events? So, I guess for us, you know, we're in a, we're kind of, like, out of our comfort zone. We have to really, really 
put ourselves out there. And I really, really admire you, Reti, for like, you know, being so, um, you know, courageous to do that, although you're alone. Because, you know, for me, right, even in, a, in an extrovert, I'm so self-aware about myself. Like, I struggle and people don't see that. And I think we should have an episode about, I mean, I don't know if we will pursue that, but I think we should talk more about the struggles of being an extrovert. Like, there's always an expectation for you to be very sociable, for you to always make the first move, but people don't actually see the struggles. I think for me, obviously, I'm becoming more introverted and very inward as I age. Uh, but yeah, I do have that struggle. You know, I think a lot about, you know, like what do people perceive of me? I go alone and stuff like that. And also, I don't get affirmation for that. Like when I was in university, right? Like, so I went for, like you, I went for different kind of like groups. So I went for, uh, I went to the Malaysian society. I went to like Muslim society. I went to international student society. You know, I went for a lot of various things, you know, like just to make friends. Um, I think like the struggle that I face is that, you know, I'm constantly having to like do that. And yeah, like I said, I don't get affirmation for it because like, like I think a couple of Malaysians, they saw me shopping on my own, like before Christmas during the winter days law. And then they were asking me, every time they see me, they ask me, oh, you're doing this alone? Oh, you're doing this alone? And you know, like, to me, it's like, it's okay. I'm perfectly fine being on my own, right? Like, I do need friends, but I'm okay being on my own. It's okay to run errands on your own. Like, and this reminds me a lot, right, of like my time back in Singapore as well. Like even in, in university days, you know, I don't generally like, plan with my friends oh you want to take this module together because for me it's like you know there are some modules I'm more interested in I'm not gonna let this opportunity go away so I would rather take this even if it means being on my own so like I think some people like they were asking oh you're here alone or oh, you are eating alone like I wonder if it's really a lot about the Asian kind of values and culture I mean I'm not trying to generalize it but I don't feel affirmed by some of my experiences with some other Asians, uh, you know, where they feel like it's really strange to be on your own. Yeah, so anyway, uh, yeah, I think another point that I want to make is really about my identity as well. I think we gravitate towards like societies that resonate or like affirm our identity. Like, I feel like I'm constantly negotiating the different parts of me and different aspects of my identity because I don't identify as one thing, you know, like I'm not just a female, but I'm also like a Muslim. I'm also a person of color in the, you know, like uh, the Brit Britain context, you know, um, I'm also um, a Singaporean, but I'm not just a, a Singapore, I'm just, I'm a Singaporean Malay. So I feel like when I go for this kind of societies, I feel like I always have to negotiate my identity again, you know, like, I don't know, like, I don't know whether these things come to your mind, Riti, when you go for these events, like for me, I'm constantly like reflecting about my identity. And I guess this also sets the stage for this podcast as well, because you mentioned, we mentioned like, you know, this contested identities as well, that the fact that when I'm here, I feel like I'm more Singaporean than ever, I'm more Malay than ever, right? So I guess maybe that's why I also went to that Malaysian society, like, because I feel that when I go to the Singapore society, right, I don't really see Malays. Um, I really want to go there so that I can connect with my Singaporean people and to speak Singlish and talk about nasi lemak or like whatever, right? But I also want to see my Malay Malay comrades, right? So for me, like, it's really hard to feel like I belong somewhere. You know, I feel like, I guess this affirms the multiplicity of our identities that we're different layers. There are many layers of things. Yeah, so um, yeah, these are generally my struggles. I can't really put myself in one place. Maybe not yet, or 
ever, or maybe someday I will, but I guess my way of navigating this is managing my expectations as well. Like when I go there, I need to remember what, why am I going there for? Okay, okay maybe it's to experience that Singaporean culture, or maybe I go this, okay, let's talk about this, you know, like this particular shared interest, you know, um, and nothing else. I don't know, like, I think I need to manage my expectations, I guess. Yeah. Yeah. Thank you for sharing, Safina. Yeah, I think uh, we uh, it's on the cards. We want to have an episode on contested identities because we think that's a really like a big area for both of us. Um, but I do acknowledge that like you just want to see somebody else that maybe um you can share more um closeness with. So like at least if you are in the Malaysian society, you can chuck up Malayu with them. Um, that's Malay for speak Malay. At least you know speak a language that is very familiar and homely to you, because a lot of the people in the Singapore society are probably speaking English and maybe Mandarin, which you don't speak. So again, it's the like it's a bit exclusive, right? Mm-hmm. Yeah. Um, I like. Um, I think I also want to mention your point about like how come the uh, um some of the your friends or the people that you meet are very uncomfortable for on your behalf. That you are alone maybe again it's um maybe i feel like there may be an age factor because exactly. i imagine that when i was in university i was also very scared of being perceived to be alone right although actually i don't really care i think i, I still went ahead being alone but i know that yeah. there's the perception that yeah. oh it's very strange to be alone you definitely need to be in a whole crony of five or six people to feel like uh, you belong <laughs> Yeah. Oh my God. You know what? I really like you. You reminding about that. Yeah. Definitely, these people who made those comments are younger. They are definitely younger. They are in like in the early twenties. So I can. Yeah. I think maybe it's because of that as well. Yeah. So uh, I think you mentioned that point about you know wanting to the one that's kind of like re- like closeness, right? I also wonder also if you know because I look different. Um. You know, obviously, I'm visibly Muslim. You know, I'm not white. I'm not British. So I wonder if you know that also hinders that kind of like um connection. But so far, I guess in London, it's so so quite. It's very diverse. You know, like I can, yeah. I mean, I I generally don't think I have a lot of problems in the long run, but I just feel that maybe when it comes to certain activities, it's a bit limited. We all, both of us, you know, we are Singaporeans, you know, we compare it in contrast to our, our social experiences in Singapore. So like in Singapore, right, um, obviously it's very safe. So we have like the infrastructure that supports, um, you know, socializing, you know, at late nights, you know, like, um, I mean, I've had my fair share of that a lot in my 20s, early 20s, like where I would just lepa. Lepa means to chill. It's like a Malay way to just chill, you know, with friends. I would just lepa at a coffee shop or like, which is like, you know, like uh, places, outdoor places, alfresco kind of like dining spaces until like what, 2 a.m. Like I can have like supper with my friends and there's still like even like night riders. So we don't really, you know, have to worry about crime. You know, like, of course, you know, I think we talked about this in the earlier episode, right? About like, you know, safety, the sense of safety in, um, in Britain as compared to Singapore. So I feel that, yeah, we do have a lot more social activities at night. Like the malls in Singapore, I think it opens until 10 p.m. And there's also like late night movies, lah. there's bowling, there's karaoke, you know, like there's also places to eat supper and stuff, you know, like 
like obviously I think if I sh- when I share this with some of my British friends they'll be like oh wow like Singapore is really that safe like you would never imagine that there's like a restaurant or a cafe or like a dining place open like at like 11pm or even 10pm you know so I find that yeah it's a bit limiting sometimes the social activities at night so I guess during winter time it can get quite difficult lah because they close very early like the shops over here so I don't know what are your thoughts Reiti? Yeah, I know. Um, it's a bit of a pity that a lot of the um social activities are either in pubs, which again excludes a whole big area of a number of people who don't drink or don't want to be near alcohol or just don't want to be near people who are drinking. So it's just very exclusive. Again, it's like it's only the people who drink who are in the pubs at two a.m. and mm-hmm. there is no like non-alcoholic equivalent um, at, available at 2am except maybe the chip shops like uh, those um, trailers that have uh, chicken and chips and fish and chips and whatever unhealthy deliciousness at 2am <laughs> yeah and everywhere else closes so early I know that yeah the social elements are really definitely very limiting um, in here so there's no bowling alley that open until 2am there's no mcdonald's that delivers at 2am um, have you seen the pictures i've seen like uh, international students in singapore they take a picture with the uh, Mac, Mac delivery drivers and like post it on social media to show that wow this is really a cultural experience for them because mm-hmm. they are getting to eat mcdonald's at 2am which nobody else uh, anywhere else um, affords mm. yeah. Yeah, you mentioned that, you know, it's very limited to like pubs or club setting, but I think my way of working around that is also like, you know, like maybe you can have your own kind of like house gatherings. <laughs> you know, I think I'm sure we do that, right? I'm sure you do that as well, Richie, that, you know, like you go to your friend's house and then you can do something together and stuff. I guess like I imagine myself doing this when I have more friends, like, I guess now. <laughs> I mean, I, I can safely say that I only have like one friend in London that I talk to like from time to time I would do that with my colleagues I guess like I, I've had like meetups with my colleagues and stuff yeah anyway Reti you worry about whether you will still be in touch with your friends after you know this whole like you know student life is over and I wonder if you know like it's because like Britain is so big you know like for us Singaporeans like okay lah I mean you finish your un- yeah, undergrad you graduate you can still meet up because Singapore is so tiny even tinier than London you know like so I wonder if also because I mean besides that whole like infrastructure you know like okay there's not much like social activities at night besides that's, that's not confined to like pubs or clubs I wonder also if because like yeah, because UK is so huge. I mean, let's talk about London itself. It's so big. Like, I have, like, a friend who lives in zone, um, you know, like, zone 8. You know, very, very far out, you know, in the outskirts of London. And I guess for me, I live closer to the inner city. So, like, even meet up, meeting up with her can be quite challenging. <laughs> I think we talked about in the previous episode about how the transportation is also not so... Sometimes it's not so reliable, you know, when it does breakdowns and stuff, oh my god, like, it's even harder to facilitate, like, kind of, like, social meetings, yeah, I mean, what are your thoughts on this, Reiki? Yeah, I think, again, maybe I'm fortunate that I'm in York, it's a very self-contained city, and then all my friends are, um, I mean, we all live in York uh, while, during some time, 
So everyone is always around for meets and uh, like we said, yeah, I forgot actually that we do have house parties um, for board games because I seem to be exclusively only um, going for uh, board games events, which I'm very happy to. Yeah, so it's just house parties in um, um, each other's houses. But I agree with you, during holidays, then we see that all of them go back to their homes in London, in Bristol, in Oxford, in uh, elsewhere, Italy, Japan, whatever. Yeah. And then it's only the poor international students remaining who either don't want to go home or cannot go home. And then it's just me, myself and I in my room. Yeah, mm-hmm. yeah I, I can imagine that it's quite difficult, right? I mean, like during like Christmas or during like, Easter, like when your British friends go home and then you're here. Yeah, you know, yeah, I guess I'm also aware of that. So sometimes, uh, like, I checked in, I check in with my other international friends also, like, you know, what you guys up to and stuff like that. Yeah. I mentioned earlier that I, I think that what keeps a friendship alive is really the sense of, like, reciprocity and commitment. But I also think right now, because I'm in a novel uh, situation, a new situation that I'm responding to, I feel like Okay, like in order for that to happen, there must be context. So like Rachel, you talk a lot about context and environment, like the benefit, you know, being in a benefit of a, like a institution, educational institution, or like you know, maybe being um, in a workplace, it helps to facilitate that social relationships. And I wonder for me if I should further that by going for interest groups, because you know, there's no other way. I mean, how do you make friends, you know? Um, to me, it's a big challenge, you know? Like I only have my workplace, but beyond that, how how do I make friends? Like maybe so far, like you know, my husband's friends, and you know, I do you know like make friends with them, like his colleagues and stuff. But I feel that I also need to kind of expand my social networks through other ways. Yeah. So if you have any suggestions, that would be nice. <laughs> yeah, I sorry, Sakina, I don't have like many suggestions for you, but I hope people listening have comments, please uh, put them in the description box and, and connect <laughs> with us in some way. Give Sakina ideas on how she can <laughs> find interest groups or anything. Yeah, if I come up with anything, I'll let you know. Yeah, <laughs> but I think um, I also want to just end on um, one more last thing. So like we've discussed this before um, off the record uh, when we talk with each other. So we both think it seems much easier to form intimate friendships in Singapore, but it's much easier to join a big group of friends here. So let me just like um, share some reflections uh, that I've uh, experienced. So I feel like maybe the intimate relationships we had um, were made in Singapore and they were probably like uh, during our formative years, right? Whether secondary school, junior college, university, we suffered exams together, we studied in, for both of us, we studied in the library together and we had um, until night and we had our inside jokes about the people, remember uh, our traffic lights? <laughs> um, and we have a lot of bonding experiences with um, the, our friends, right? And it's been a hot second since we were undergrads. So these friendships are already a decade old. So um, mm. whereas currently we are only like new transfer to Britain, maximum two three years. So any intimate friendships we have, it's also only two ish three years. So just just solely by the length of time, it's ten years versus two years. Of course, the Singapore ones are going to win, right? Mm. Um, as to joining big groups of friends, I feel like even in Singapore we are a bit cliquish. 
So I would be very uncomfortable if someone brought someone new into a group which, you know, it's exclusively only X amount of people. Why is this one extra joining in? But also, similarly, I would feel very uncomfortable if I brought a new one in. Whereas here, I feel like if someone brought a new one in, it's like, oh, the more the merrier. And again, I don't know if it's like it's mentioned, um, the infrastructure, the environment. Here, it's usually a more casual setting when there is a big group, right? So you definitely cannot have like one-on-one -on -one conversations or deep conversations with like five other people. So it feels like the bigger groups here allow for more casual um, occurrences, casual people to come and say hi and then you never see them again. And, um, and I'm like, okay with it. And also, I wonder if it's because um, I'm attending much more, many more events here, given that I'm a PhD student, international student, and I attend talks, and I'm also like primed to meet new people. So I'm just getting, maybe it's just experience, like getting used to the idea of meeting new people just for once and never again, and be okay with it. Whereas back home, whatever I've been doing, I will continue to keep the small, intimate um, friendships, relationships, and I'm wary to disrupt the group dynamics. Yeah, uh, although to be fair, uh, if you want me to go to a big group now in Singapore, I think I'm open to doing it as well. Mm -hmm. And uh, it's just uh, maybe like I said, it's just lack of experience prior maybe, but now I'm just more used to it. And like I shared with you like a few weeks back, um, at my 21st party, I had all my different groups of friends at one party and I was so uncomfortable that day because I didn't know how to manage to entertain them all of them, to entertain them all at the same time. But hopefully, if that scenario happens again, I think I'm okay, I'm better, I know that they can entertain themselves, I don't need to, you know, uh, like, worry so much about it. Yeah. I wonder, because whatever that you say, right? it really um, it highlights that kind of group exclusivity. And I think there's a lot more of that kind of exclusivity, I feel, back at home, right? Like, um, I mean, I wonder if it's the whole collectivist and individualist um, kind of uh, arguments as well. Like, I think um, Asians, you know, we relate to each other via uh, our sense of belonging to a larger group. We identify ourselves as a larger group. So if there's someone new, it will disrupt, um, I would say, the group harmony and that kind of um, bond. You know, there's this kind of like permutation, like, okay, we have actually formed like a group that, and this is perfect. And if somebody else comes in, it's like, oh my God, it disrupts that harmony that we already have, you know? So I guess, I don't know. I wonder if it's really a lot about that collectivist, individualist kind of argument. Um, and also another thing that, uh, that I, I, I was reflecting about as you share your experiences is also about um, about our socializations. Again, I think this relates to that whole, I wonder if, you know, like people here, they are more comfortable with just being on their own. And because they are usually on their own, you know, like being independent to do things, they are okay with having to be the one to kind of like initiate or to like, you know, to try to put themselves in, you know, like in different social situations, right? Because like maybe back at home, we are so used to being in groups, right? We are not really reinforced to kind of like to do that, to go out of your comfort zone to like, okay, you know, like uh, to wedge myself in into a group or like to say hi first or whatever. So I wonder if because of our socializations that shape the, our, you know, our sense of like, 
um, friendships as well. You know, that whole group dynamics. Maybe because, I'm not saying that, you know, like groups in the West or over here is actually more loosely uh, established. You know, I'm pretty sure there's also cliques and groups, you know, like there's certain kind of exclusivity. And I'm also very sure in Singapore, there's also some groups that are more open to people kind of being inside, you know, being in the inn, right? So um, people here, they are very comfortable with just like, oh, hi, you know, what are you doing? What are you up to? Maybe they see themselves as individuals first, then uh, in terms of groups. Whereas like some of us, you know, we see ourselves like in relation to that group, the larger group that we belong to. So I don't know, like it's a very, yeah, I think I need, probably need some time to also reflect on this. Uh, but I'm really glad that you highlight that your reflection is definitely a good food for thought. Yeah, I mean, I guess for like viewers tuning in, you know, obviously, you know, whatever that we say, um, we don't mean to generalize or trying to claim that our observation is the truth, right? So, I mean, obviously, if you want to challenge us or give a different alternative, you know, feel free to do so. Yeah, thank you for sharing. I think I agree with you, like the socialization part, yeah, like you. I think I need to think more about how we have been socialized, whether in Singapore, in the UK, and how we, again, manage our expectations um, in new scenarios and new situations, and how we can uh, proceed with making friends um, from this point on. Yeah. Mm -hmm. I think we'll end it there. So uh, remember to like the video if you did, and share with others if you feel so inclined. We are also available on Anchor, Spotify, Google Podcasts, and all other platforms. Please check the full list in the description. Uh, you can follow us on Two Sports in Britain across the board. Twitter is Two Sports in BR. Also, can I especially, I just want to give a little plug. Do follow us elsewhere because um, then you get to see the doodle that I do every, that accompanies every episode. Um, I think it's cute. I you think so too, Sakina? <laughs> yeah, so if you're only listening or watching on YouTube or all the only like audio only um, elements and uh, forms, you are missing out on the visual artwork. Yeah, so um, we'll talk to you next time. Thank you everyone for your time. Bye-bye. Bye. -bye. Bye.